Um, well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, can I ask you a question? Who's been enjoying the How We Now Live series over the last few weeks? Yeah? Um, I think as I've been reading through the book of James, one of the observations that I've had has been this. Uh, the way that the man writes this epistle is literally a straight-up, in-your-face, schoolyard fight. Right? I mean, the man does not mince his words at all. And I'm pretty confident, uh, you know, if we were to sit down with the Apostle Paul, if, sorry, the, with James, if that was possible, and you'd ask him any question at all, you would definitely leave that conversation with his full unfurling of everything that he felt about a controversial topic that the church is facing today, right? He would just let that all out. And I think if we were to compare that to some of the other writers of the New Testament, like if we look at that maybe in the sense of Apostle Paul, um, and I was to give you like a modern day, maybe motivational speaker comparison between the two, I would say this. I think that James is a David Goggins to Paul's, uh, I don't know, maybe Tony Robbins, <laughs> right? And if you don't know who David Goggins is, let me just say this. He is an ex-Navy SEAL who is certainly not afraid of using some energetic language to help motivate you. <laughs> Okay, And if you want to learn a little more about that, I would encourage you to talk to Pastor Allison after the service, and he'll be able to send you the link to his top 10 favorite YouTube videos of David Goggins. <laughs> okay, well, as we, um, as we continue our series today, um, we're going to turn our attention to, to a topic which has really been critically important to, to the vine, um, and it really has been since the beginning of our church. And it's been a critical subject for us because we really believe that this is something that matters for all of us as Christians. And that topic centers on the question of how do we treat the poor and marginalized in our society? And to help us begin to unpack this a little bit, I want to start by telling you about an interesting conversation I had with a friend a couple of months ago. Um, our very heady and intellectual conversation started around a simple question. Would you rather? Would you rather be one of the uber-wealthy in their weird race to space or an ex-tech finance person who is giving a bunch of their personal money to philanthropic causes? All right? In the first group, we have the Elon Musks. We've got the Jeff Bezos. We had the, the Richard Bransons, who were engaged in what I'd imagine to be you know, somewhat of a, a bit of a weird, egotistical race to space. But, I mean, at the same time, they are pushing frontier science, right? They're leading innovation. They're developing some technology which has the potential to drastically change their, our lifestyles. But at least in my mind, there's also this weird little tension that they are using a massive amount of financial logistical, and human resources, which maybe, just, just maybe, be better utilized in addressing some of the big problems that we have here on our planet. Right, to be fair, Tesla it has done more in generating a large-scale shift towards the electric car than any other company, okay? Uh, and Jeff Bezos, I mean, he's made it so much more easier for me to shop conveniently on Amazon and something that I'm genuinely grateful for, being able to listen to a bunch more audiobooks, <laughs> right? But then we have Richard. And if, if I'm honest with you, I, I don't actually know what Richard's done for humanity. Um, <laughs> but, I, I mean, I know he's given us an airline, and I think there was maybe a phone company in there somewhere as well. Um, but if you're a Brit, can you please come up and let me know uh, what, what has Richard Branson done um, for humanity so I can fill that in for the 2 p.m.? That would be amazing. <laughs> 
Uh, in the second group, we have the other side of the coin. It's the Bill Gates. It's the George Soros's. It's the McKenzie Scotts. You know, people who, after having their own successful careers, are now investing a significant amount of their personal wealth into philanthropic causes that span across things like health, poverty alleviation, education, social enterprises, and human rights. And this group for me, this is as the justice and missions pastor, it's so much easier for me to associate with. Right? And I'm totally on board with the focus that they have on developing solutions that support the personal and societal health of humanity and our planet. So in my mind, at least, in this discussion that I was having with my friend, there was very little room for argument. That was until he asked me, I thought, a very interesting question. Um, when we look at the second group and some of the work that they're involved in, right? while there has been some incredibly transformative work that's been happening, some of the problems that they've been facing on have been plaguing humanity, well, you know, since the beginning of time, right? Exploitation pollution, racism, hunger. So his question to me was this, what makes you so confident that the impact that they are going to have is gonna last even more than one lifestyle? Because at least, at least if the other team was to colonize Mars, we've got a second planet that we can go live on. <laughs> so let me ask you this question this morning. But I'm gonna do it with a little bit more focus on the topic that we're going to engage with. Would you rather as a Christian, be trying to lead space exploration or solving the developmental problems of our world? And what factors would you change if you had to consider this question through the lens of being a Christian as opposed to uh, space heroes? Right? And I feel like there's a very interesting tension that exists in that for us, especially in the light of the series that we've been exploring, How We Now Live. Right? Because if we look at this particular area today of how do we handle the issue of poverty when we are living in an incredibly rich city of Hong Kong, in many ways, navigating this type of question is exactly what James is trying to answer in his letter to the early church. Right? And like so many other letters in our New Testament, James wrote this to a dispersed and persecuted church that was learning to wrestle with difficult questions on the merging of culture and societal norms with their faith. Right? Instead of adopting the Greek or Roman habits and practices from their surrounding environment, James has been calling this group into a continuation of what Jesus' calling was, which was a new way of living that should ultimately transform how they see the world and each other. And in his very pragmatic, no-nonsense style, he was saying to them that if their faith was truly alive and genuine, then the internal transformation that the gospel was doing in their hearts, that should be flowing out into their life, the choices that they make, their actions, their attitudes, and the words that they speak. So today we're going to explore the connections between this and how we see the issue of poverty in the light of Book of James. Because as we'll see a little bit later on, one of the most prominent issues that the early church was wrestling with was how to handle the cultural divides between the powerful and the influential and the poor, which society had long deemed to be the undesirables. And we're gonna do that by looking at a passage from chapter two and see how James addresses this issue. So I'm gonna pick it up from verse one. My brothers, 
Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, or you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to them, to those who love him? He goes on a couple of verses later to pick it up from verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So we can see in this passage straight away that James is addressing a situation in the church where its own members were separating themselves based upon the appearance of wealth and prestige, right? And we've heard this being highlighted through a number of different messages over the years here at the Vine. In the Greco-Roman environment, when it comes to caring for others, society basically placed zero expectations on the rich and the powerful to care for the poor. Right? In fact, when the rich did give, their generosity was almost always towards their own people, their own family, their friends. You know, the joy of giving in this age was less about an altruistic philanthropy and so much more about the associated benefits that came from giving. Things like honor, prestige, fame, status. For the rich, giving to the poor benefited them very little. So the generosity was almost always directed towards those who they could expect a favor from in return. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Because I think if we take this context and we lay it over the some of the areas of society today, these prejudices are something that we are still trying to come to terms with. One of the benefits that we have of living in a media or the digital age is that we are constantly aware of the plights of the poor and the disadvantaged, both here in Hong Kong, our own city, but then also globally. It's it's literally impossible to insulate ourselves from the reality that the world is is full of people who are living at a subsistence level. We live in a city where the poor and the wealthy often live right side by side. And although Hong Kong is, you know, famous globally as being an international financial city, the reality is that we have people in need right here on our doorsteps. A group of us uh, from the Vine and Branches of Hope uh, team have been recently reading a fantastic book uh, written by HKU professor Paul Yip, uh, Social Unrest and the Poverty Problem in Hong Kong. And one of the areas that he covers is the history and evolution of poverty in Hong Kong over recent decades. And I want to actually share with you some of the data that he uses to shine a light on this issue here in our city. Um, on this graph here, uh, you're going to be looking at the percentage of people who are living in poverty using the Hong Kong's government's uh, definition, which is based upon household income and family size. And what you're seeing in this graph is that even after you know, the incredible economic prosperity that our city has had over the last 40 years, the number of people who are living in poverty is rising, right? And COVID hasn't helped the situation that much either at all. Right? In 2021, the poverty level was sitting at 23.6% of our population, which is the highest level 
since the admission actually set that official poverty line back in 2013. If I was to put this in really sort of basic practical terms, in Hong Kong, it's almost one in four people who are facing the reality of living in poverty. Right? And this isn't just about the small minority groups um, or the refugees and asylum seekers. Even they do, though they do carry a significant injustice um, here in our city. This also includes our local Hong Kong population. And where it gets a little bit more troubling is that not only has poverty increased, uh, but we also see that the top 20% of income earners have actually been able to capture a much larger portion of our city's economic prosperity. And that has had the effect of squeezing both the people below the poverty line, but also the middle class, you know, as they struggle to be able to afford the increasing cost of living, things like housing, education, health services. So in this graph behind me, you can see on the, the top two uh, blue and red lines there actually represent the income of the top 20%. And the bottom lighter blue and yellow line, that is the, uh, the income share of the people who are living in the bottom 10 and 20%. So over a period of time, we're actually starting to see more of a divergence between these two different groups and their income sources. So as you can see, just as poverty was a significant issue in the early church, it is still something that we are dealing with today. And as we go a little deeper into this passage, we're going to look at how some of the habits which James recognized had to be reshaped just so that the church could learn how to care for those in need. And at a foundational level, that reshaping really come back down to the cultural divides that existed between two different groups of people, the rich and the poor. Because instead of breaking down some of the barriers that judged and discriminated, the church was actually starting to buy into that Greco-Roman practice by giving favor or preferential treatment to the people based on temporary physical benefits. Right? Those perceived as rich and prosperous were treated with a respect and they were welcomed into the services. While those who were you know, less fortunate, I mean, they may have been allowed in. Right, but they are expected to stay in a very specific place that was reserved for the poor. Instead of pausing to understand and respond with compassion to some of the struggles of people in need, the church was creating situations where the needy were being left out and made to feel unwanted. Right? Instead of modeling you know, the new way of how Christians were supposed to be living, you know, they are instead discriminating and excluding the vulnerable within their own community. And just to see how tragic that really is, you know, one of the things that we have to understand is that the, gap, so the church was meant to be one of the very few places where that gap between the rich and the poor didn't exist. You know, the wealthy business owner and the low-skilled day-wage worker, they should have been able to sit together as equals in the kingdom of God, knowing that they were both created in his image. So James is called to the church was really to model a new way that reflected God's desire for a caring and inclusive society. Right? It was a call for believers to build that new community within their own cities that would be impartial, welcoming, and responsive to the needs of people around them. And we also see that Paul addresses the same thing in some of his letters as well. So this isn't just something that James is picking up on. Um, during the Lord's Supper feast, the wealthy would tend to have this habit 
of physically separating themselves from the poor and eating together almost in their own little exclusive society. Right? The upper class, who would often arrive to these feasts much, much earlier than the much larger group of poorer people, um, they would come together and they would start to eat before the poor arrived. They would consume the majority of the food, drink all the wine, and then leave in this drunken state, leaving the poor humiliated and without enough food to eat. And all of that occurred around the dinner table. Right? A space which God uses on so many occasions in the Bible to illustrate a place of welcome and acceptance. Right? In a space where generosity was meant to be overflowing for the other person, they judged and created division between themselves and the other. Right? Instead of seeing them as heirs to God's kingdom, people saw the poor and gave them a lower value, withholding their time and their resources. Instead of being generous and caring, the alternative society you know, that Jesus had intended that church to be, it was starting to look more and more like the society around it. Which brings us to a really important question for us to reflect on in our age. Do we see that same lacking of a generous spirit in our own city? Are we really doing that much better than the early church that James and Paul were addressing? And the cool thing is, I actually have some data that gives us an insight into this as well. The Charities Aid Foundation puts together uh, a mostly annual report on the giving habits of countries around the world. And they do this by looking at the percentage of a country's population who practice three different types of generosity. And they do it by asking a question simply, in the last month, have they helped a stranger or someone they didn't know who needed help? Have they donated money to charity or have they volunteered their times to an organization. And the good news for us is that Hong Kong has been part of their research. So we actually get a very interesting little insight into how our city has been responding into these different areas over the last uh, well, decade now. The not so good news is that, as you will see on these graphs here, is that our generosity has actually dropped significantly across all three different giving habits. And in that top left-hand graph behind me, you're going to see that our global ranking actually went from being in the top 26 countries in 2015 right down to the bottom 10 in 2021. And what I find particularly relevant, I think, to the passage that we're exploring today is the decline that we're seeing in the percentage of people who are willing to help a stranger and volunteer to serve others. Right? Those bottom two graphs there. Because if we combine these different giving habits with the growth of poverty in Hong Kong, I think it starts to unpack for us a very troubling trend, right? Poverty has increased. Wealth has become more concentrated in the hands of the few. And the majority of our society have been stepping back from caring for those who are most in need. And that paints a very sobering picture that something is seriously wrong with the way that we're operating. And I don't mean to downplay you know, some of the difficulties that Hong Kong has been facing over the last couple of years. It has been an incredibly unsettling period for us. Right? I think if we just look back at the, the last two, two and a half years now, you know, with some of the COVID restrictions, while that has undoubtedly saved a lot of lives, right, it's also shut off so many opportunities that we actually have to be able to serve the people who are in need. And I think NGOs are particularly carrying this burden, right? 
They haven't been able to do the same amount of awareness raising events. Um, their financial resources have been lower, so they've been impacted in the types of programs that they can do. And even some of the social restrictions that um, have come out because of COVID have limited their ability to actually even interface with some of the different communities that they exist to serve. So it brings us to a point where there's a really difficult question, right? What do we do about this? How do we actually know about how do we reverse some of the decline that we're seeing over the last few years? All right, poverty is obviously a very complex situation, right? And its solutions are also extremely complicated. Right? And even though there is a lot that does sit outside of our control, and I think one of the, the temptations that we face is that we look at the size of this type of thing, and we think about, like, you know, the role that I can play in this is so small that I can't impact it. But I think I, I want to encourage us today to look at it this way, because even though there is that much which is outside of our control, we certainly aren't powerless in our response. In fact, we find one of the most impacting responses that we can take in verses three and four of this verse that we've been, passage that we've been reading through today. James writes it as this, let me remind you. If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, sit over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What I think James is ultimately asking the church in this question is this, where and how have you been discriminating against the other? Right? Do we prefer to only socialize with people who are similar to us? Right? Those who have similar jobs, incomes, you know, worldviews, fashion preferences, political affiliations, whatever it may be. Right? Do we tend to avoid you know, or exclude people who come from a different racial background or ethnicity? Right? Do we try to create a separation between ourselves and you know, those with a different sexual orientation? Do we, try to, do we actually end up moving to a different part of the train or the MTR uh, when someone who is dealing with some mental health issues starts getting just a little bit too loud around us? Right, the challenge for all of us is to ask ourselves, how much of what we see in the change of our city's giving habits, our hesitancy to help a stranger, or be giving of our time and our resources, how much can that explain by the same reason that James is calling out here in the early church. That strong preference to care for our own, the people like us, you know, our families, our friends, but at the cost of ignoring the other. See, part of this, um, you know, I think it's completely natural, right? It is, a, it is a good thing to care for your family and people in your immediate sphere of influence. But the point that James is making here in this passage is that we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Right? In other words, with the same passion and focus that we take care of those in our own family, we should be looking to find ways to extend that externally. And when James writes these attitudes of judgmental, evil, dishonoring, sinful, he's really calling out the behaviors of self-interest that had crept into the lives of the believers and was starting to unwind the community that God ultimately desired the church to live within. Right? Because we were created to be in that community. Being in community with our Christian family is such an important part of our faith because it's within the context of these relationships that we have the opportunity to give and to receive love and forgiveness, right? to encourage and challenge each other in our faith walks. And it's also within this space that we get an opportunity to learn about the needs of those around us as well. 
which underlines why we need to be so careful in treating people differently within our church, but also within our city. Because when we allow prejudice and discrimination to exist in our minds and through our actions, we create these opportunities that are going to protect the behaviors and the privileges of the known and deny others on the basis that we don't believe that they deserve access to the same treatment. And that is the antithesis of what a God-centered community really seeks to achieve. James goes on a little bit later on uh, in chapter five, and he shows us that there's also not a very, there's not a small cost associated with this type of attitude either, right? The price that people will pay, um, he likens this to, you know, uh, the stupidity of an animal. Well, you know, through its own selfishness has intentionally fattened itself just to get ready for its own slaughter. So coming back to that question, how do we live out these two essential commands that James is bringing to us today, right? To protect ourselves against the temptation to discriminate and to care for the needs of those around us. The first step is this. Do not compromise what God is calling you to do individually. But let me encourage you to find opportunities to put yourself in a position that allows you to see the personal impact that you're having in a wide range of communities. Right? Uh, James is talking here about the rich and the poor, but I think I would probably extend that a little bit further. Right? Ethnicity, background, you know, languages, age groups. Find opportunities, find communities where you don't necessarily agree immediately with the other person. Right? Just like that question that I asked at the beginning of this message. Right? Um, there's always going to be the tensions and uncertainties in navigating how we balance our life choices and the calling that we have to care for each other. Right? Our world is constantly changing, and none of us have figured out that perfect way to navigate it. But I will say this, staying connected within community and understanding the needs of the people that are around us and whether or not we're having a positive or a negative impact on them is probably one of the most effective ways to avoid a habit of discrimination. It's also the precursor to the next step, uh, earlier, I showed you two giving habits, uh, which I believe have the potential to break down any walls of discrimination, helping the stranger in need and volunteering with an organization. Right, serving some of the most vulnerable people here in our city, uh, we have Branches of Hope, which is uh, the, one of the justice expressions here at the Vine, and you will not find a more easy way to get involved with an organization that is serving some of the most vulnerable here in Hong Kong. Right. We also have a wide range of different missions partners here at the Vine as well, uh, based both here in Hong Kong and then also globally. Um, they work across a range of different issues. Um, as a church, uh, we've had the opportunity to be able to connect a bunch of people from our congregation into these volunteering spaces that align with their passions, their skills, their interests. Um, and I want to let you on one little piece of advice or feedback if I can. In my experience, um, and it is my experience as well, um, the biggest sticking point that really prevents people from living this out is not being intentional about taking that very first step. So in this particular space, I want to encourage you not to miss out on what I could feel, well, I would say is probably one of the most rewarding experiences of your Christian faith. Find an opportunity to serve uh, and to help the person in need. And it also leads us to the last step here as well. And that's what James calls the royal law, or what Jesus gave us as the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And I would say that that probably starts with loving the person who is right next to you. One of the wonderful things that we have about Divine is that we have such a diversity of both social, uh, economic, uh, cultural backgrounds, ethnicity, races, right here in the auditorium today. Right? Over, over a multitude of Sundays, we'll actually have up to 55 different language groups that attend Divine as their church. So today, rather than rushing out yeah, from today's service, why not spend some time trying to get to know somebody who is part of your very own church community but comes from a different background? In that sense, don't be the nameless person who turns the vine. And don't let the persons who are sitting around you week in and week out also be nameless. So across these three steps, I want to actually leave us with a little bit of a challenge. Right? As a community of believers, Let's be a leader across these different areas, especially in those giving habits, right? The leader that Hong Kong desperately needs. Imagine what it would be like if the church was able to play a lead role in reversing some of those trends of declining generosity and bringing people out of the situations that they're facing, right? Through that, building that momentum together, you know, we could actually bring back that spirit of generosity that exists within our hearts. Can I pray for us? Father, we just, um, Lord, we come today. We come today uh, not as a, a group of different individual people, but we come together as your Christian family. So, Father, I'm just going to pray for this message that we've heard today. And pray over some of the information that has been shared, um, the troubling situations that exist here in our city. We don't want to downplay that. Father, I also just pray for us in our hearts, you know, some of the practices or habits that we may have had when it comes to having prejudice or discrimination. Lord, I pray that you just lead us as a community um, into a space where we learn what it means to follow you and to care for the people around us. Uh, Father, I also pray for us as a church that there would just be a joy, there would be an encouragement, there would be a motivation to be able to step out of this auditorium today and to go and impact the society around us. They would find ways to care for our neighbor, to be able to help the stranger, to be able to serve those who are in need. And that we do that together as a community of God, and not as individuals, and not as carrying that burden by ourselves, but they would be able to do this together as one big family. I just thank you for this in your mighty name. Amen.